Hi, this is the Holes of Mark show, and today I am talking to Christina George. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, please? Oh, you cover so many most of the same subjects I do. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, obviously, being in this field was a, a kind of a personal journey, looking for answers to questions I had about my own life and what I was going through. Um, but was, what was strange was that, you know, I've always known that I had psychic abilities since I was a young child. But I, and I also always saw a lot of UFOs as a child, but I never ever connected them. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, I was older and I was more of an adult and I started, I have a, uh, it's called Psychic, it's PPRS, it's Psychic and Paranormal Research Society. Uh, we're a research institute out here in Sacramento, California, and we actually have two divisions, one which was for the paranormal itself and the uh, other division which was for uh, ufology and cryptozoology. And the more that I started interviewing not only people with paranormal experiences, but also abductees, contactees, people who had maybe just seen uh, UFOs, I, the more that I started interviewing all these people, I started realizing that a lot of what they were reporting was very similar, which really piqued my interest because I thought, well, if, let's say, seeing shadow figures or black mists or things like that, a lot of people think that only people who have paranormal experiences see things like that. But that's absolutely not true. We're seeing people who are having contact in abductees who are also seeing shadow figures. Um, both sides were reporting sleep paralysis. Some people would say, you know, that have paranormal activity, say that they saw, you know, um, they had scary dreams or whatever. It happened right before um, they had the sleep paralysis and when they woke up they could see little black shadow figures running around. Other people who are abductees will sometimes experience sleep paralysis when they come back from an abduction. So again, starting to see the re similarities in the reportings in both divisions and even in the cryptozoology world, I was finding that a lot of people who had witnessed, say, Bigfoot, also, when we would, I would interview them, was finding out that they were also having paranormal experiences, or they might have had UFO sightings or things like that. So again, I just started seeing a lot of similarities um, throughout the, the different genres of the, of the supernatural world that were similar. So I, I, it really piqued my interest and started making me look at it a little differently because you probably realize, and I have over the last 15 years that I've been in the public eye, uh, people who believe in the paranormal 
disbelieve in ghosts and spirits. People, and they don't believe in aliens and, and uh, spaceships and things like that. And they don't believe in Bigfoot. Uh, then we've got the UFO people. Ufology people believe in aliens and abductions and contact and all of that. But they rarely believe in Bigfoot or... Well, it's funny you say that it's all linked because... When I do, I mean, this is only an unofficial research study, but when I've been looking up in over here for the same like stories, I've realised that most of them in the UK are linked to ley lines. Oh yeah, a lot of times. A lot of times. Have you got something similar in the states? Yep. Okay, I think you were breaking breaking up a little bit. Um, but yeah, a lot of times, like here in the U.S., uh, we have a lot of uh, states that run on ley lines, fault lines, have um, crystal sediment, you know, underneath the, the um, soil here, all, all kinds of different things. And the more of those things that we see in the locations, usually the higher amount of reporting you find. But right now, probably over the last, say, at least five years, but I want to say ten years, I mean, we've definitely, definitely, um, people started to pay more attention, not only, and report not only paranormal activity, but also ufology and, and cryptozoology. Uh, before, people might have sightings, but they were too afraid to be judged by the public, uh, they didn't want to be deemed crazy by any of their friends, and so it was kind of taboo to talk about any of this stuff, but a little, now that it's more on television and um, there's more known about it, and I think, especially for ufology, we're starting to see that more people are starting to really pay attention. Well, I have a theory, I don't know if you probably, I don't think it's original. But I think a lot of our ability to connect with paranormal UFOs and cryptid creatures comes from early man. Stay active, or if we are told that everything we 
see and experience is, you know, hogwash, then eventually they, we tend to block them out. And what we found in our research is that because we actually, with my group, we would uh, mentor children, young children and teens with psychic abilities. And what we were noticing is that a lot of people my age, and I'm 51, maybe grew up and remember having some kinds of psychic abilities. But then they'll say, oh, but then, you know, I had an imaginary friend when I was young, but then it went away and I never had anything again. Um, again, those are our ways of, of, of examples of, of having psychic abilities. Now, because the veil is getting thinner now, a lot more adults all of a sudden that they're finding that their abilities are reactivating. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot of people um, comment on that. But what we're noticing is that, especially in children, that depending on your religious background, the way paranormal activity is discussed uh, in general as a family, um, is it supported? Is it discounted? Are they told that it's... You know, it's just make-believe. Like, what are they told? And what we've found is that if it's supported or it is not discounted, then usually um, the abilities will kind of thrive. Uh, other times when it is discounted, you're told that, oh, it's imaginary friends, so it doesn't exist, it does, it's not true, it's make-believe, all these kind of things. Eventually, by the time that the children enter school, which usually about five years old, um, they then are around other children who also are not talking about this stuff, and it usually ends up getting blocked by about that time. But there's a lot of us, uh, you know, including myself, who have had abilities since, young, you know, being a young child, and even though my abilities were completely discounted, and not only that, but I was, you know, told not to speak of it again from the church, and just all kinds of crazy things. No matter how hard I tried, I could not block these abilities out. So um, I think that we all have these abilities, and they're, they're in our DNA. It's very natural. But again, because it was such a taboo subject, and people were so, you know, scared, and there was, you know, so much superstition stuff put on what the paranormal really, you know, was. And it wasn't, you didn't have to be a witch, you didn't have to be some kind of satanic person or into devil worship. Uh, paranormal stuff for people who experience it is not abnormal. In our lives, it's very normal. And so we have to end up adjusting our lives to fit into everybody else's that doesn't believe in this stuff. So it can be difficult. Yeah, um... What do you think? I personally had a near-death experience myself. Well, I will tell you near-death experiences are also an indicator um, of when a lot of people's abilities, they notice, activate after a near-death experience. Uh, I will tell you that I've had two near-death experiences in my 51 years. One is a teenager, a young child. We went, I was probably not a teenager yet. I was probably only about nine or 10 years old, but we went to the beach and uh, with the with church group and I was out there and we were down at the 
and the water, and all of the adults were carrying all of the stuff down to the to the site where we were out on the beach. And I was out there, and I was playing in the water, and I turned around, and I'm looking at everybody up on the cliff, and I see everybody, like, waving their hands. <laughs> and me being young, I didn't know any better. I thought they were waving at me. So I just started waving back and waving back, and then I see them, they're waving both hands, but I can't hear what they're saying. And, and what they were trying to advise me, ever warn me of, was that there was these really, really big waves that were coming in. And just about the time that I looked back, a big wave kind of went over the top of me, and the undertow sucked my legs out from underneath me and pulled me back into the ocean. And all I can remember was just doing circles and circles and circles in the water and really feeling like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm going to die. And all I can remember is that I saw this, it's kind of crazy, but this ball of light. It was just like a big, gigantic bubble of light. And it was big enough that when it got to me from below, it came up, it actually surrounded my body. Now, mind you, I'm just a, a small kid, so it surrounded me, and all of a sudden, I felt very calm, and I heard, you're going to be okay, relax, you're going to be okay, everything's going to be all right, and for whatever reason, I trusted this voice, and I relaxed, and the next thing I know, I popped up to the surface, and just as I popped up, an adult that was with our group had literally grabbed me out of the water, and they, you know, ran me up to the beach, and were trying to see if they needed to do CPR, and things like that, so I was the first one, and um, my second one was 15 years ago, but I have to go back just a little bit, because I had some really, really interesting experiences as, as a child and as a child I was never ever afraid of the spirit world it wasn't until um, I became a teenager and had an experience uh, with the Ouija board as a teenager using one that I ended up with an attachment now you have to remember again back at around the age of you know 13 I didn't know any better I didn't know what these Ouija boards were for I didn't even
for probably, I don't know, a good five years or so, I didn't see anything, any spirits whatsoever, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing, you know, I don't have to be bothered anymore, or woken up, or scared, but then the next thing I know is little by little, spirits started coming back. The only difference with it this time was that I wasn't really um, in the same, like, frame of mind, since I was now becoming, you know, afraid of this stuff. I was kind of like, well, as long as this dark stuff doesn't come back and start scaring me, I can handle seeing spirits. Well, then fast forward 15 years ago, uh, I was uh, riding in a car with um, a cousin of mine, and we ended up getting in a very, very serious car accident. And during this car accident, uh, the car flipped a few times, it hit the center divide, uh, well, it spun around first, then hit the center divide, and then flipped a few times through my cousin out the front window, the, and tore her seatbelt completely out, and I was completely kind of encased and crumpled uh, the car around me. I survived, and I had to be taken to the hospital. And the only thing I really remember before I went into surgery was they had told me that I had a ruptured spleen and they needed to go in and, and repair it. So um, I go into surgery and they put me under and the next thing I know, all of a sudden, I'm floating up above what ended up being my body. And now mind you, I was still an adult at this time because I'm 51 and... I had been in the paranormal for quite a while, so I knew what near-death experiences were. I had interviewed many people who had had near-death experiences, just never had one myself. And so I see myself above my body, and the first thing I think of is, oh, this can't be, like, this can't be true. And so I started having some critical thinking, and I, the first thing I said was, let me see and see if that's me actually on there or this is some kind of dream or something. And so I maneuver my way around a little bit and I look look over and all I can see and it's definitely me laying on the table that they're working on. And I remember looking around the room because I remember seeing um, a documentary on near-death experiences and that because so many people were starting to report these near-death experiences in certain um, hospitals, in certain uh, surgery rooms, they would take tape and they would, you know, make some design or numbers on top of the lights that go down, uh, the surgical lights. And so you wouldn't be able to see them from anywhere except from above, you know, um, the body. And so that's the first thing I started looking for, but I didn't see anything, and I thought, oh, great. So I tried to, like, remember, like, looking at the clock, see what time it was, looking at the different machines that were in there, what was going on, and who was saying and doing what. And before I could really even get too much information, the next thing I know, I find myself in an actual... Uh, room it was just filled with light uh, I don't want to I, I didn't want to say a room because it wasn't like there was any walls or or a floor or ceiling uh, it was just all light and um, I saw some people that I actually recognized uh, there were a bunch of people standing in a line and they were kind of far away from me but I could see them 
and the first person that I saw was my grandfather, and he was the first person in my life uh, that I was close to to pass away, and he was also the first and only family member who passed away to come and see me after their death. So my grandfather was there, and next to him was an ex-boyfriend that I had uh, that actually got killed right in front of me, died right in front of me. Um, he was there, and then later I found out a few other people were there were family members that I never met, but they had, you know, died. And the other people still to this day, I don't know who they were, but they were all in a row. And all I remember is that I felt very, very at ease, very comfortable, very happy. Uh, now, mind you, at this time, I had four children, four young children. I was a single mom, and uh, having my children, it was one of these things that uh, I never would have, you know, ever wanted to leave my children alone, ever. And so... Uh, I would always choose my children first over anything, even over death. And the thing that I noticed is it was I had my near-death experience is that I never once thought about my children or what it would do to them if I didn't come back. Um, I just felt so at ease that none of that came across. And I remember not wanting to go back. And I just loved the feeling. And this voice came to me and told me that... Um, it was not my time and that I was going to have to go back but when I went back there were certain things that I now needed to do and the number one thing was that I had to go back and I had to let people not only know about my abilities and that I had them uh, which for me was very very hard because again this is something that I hid most of my life and uh to now say, okay, you've got, you have to live, I was living two different separate lives, so people didn't, you know, I hid all this stuff from people, so now you're, you know, I'm being told I have to go, and I have to tell everybody that I have these abilities, I thought, you're crazy, like, this is really going to be a problem, and then the other thing was that I needed to go back, and I needed to use this information, and I needed to use my experiences, and I needed to use them to help other people, and also to educate them. And I just thought, like, why me? Like, this just didn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, and I said, you know, no, I'm not going back. You know, like, I don't know if I thought that the rules were different or I didn't have to follow the rules, but I was just like, you know, look, I didn't ask to come here, but, you know, I'm here now and I don't back. Um, and I'm not going back in because this voice kept telling me over and over, you know, it's not your time. Thank <laughs> you. 
and I hear the doctor say, all right, turn it up, or shock her one more time, doesn't work this time, we'll call, you know, we'll call her, and they turn it up, they shock me, and the very last time, I literally felt them put the paddles on me and shock me, and the third time is when it actually yanked me back into my body, and when I woke up, I was talking like a mad woman, trying to get somebody to listen to what had just happened, and I remember the nurse came over, and she was like petting my head and my hair, and she kept saying, oh, honey, calm down, it's okay, it's just anesthesia, and I'm thinking, right, anesthesia, this would not do something like this, and so, again, just like always in my life, whenever I talked about anything that was happening paranormal, nobody believed me, so I didn't say anything until a few days later, and a doctor came in to see me in the ICU. And the first thing that they told me was that they had some good news and some bad news. And I said, okay, well, you know, go ahead and give it to me. He said, well, the good news is that, you know, we were able to repair your spleen, and we didn't have to remove it. And I said, okay, well, what's the bad news? And the bad news was that when they opened me up, they found that I had this very rare uncurable illness. I had the most rare version of it. And because I had this this illness and there was no cure, that they didn't expect that I had more than three to five years to live. And I will tell you that that really kind of like freaked me out because I'm like, okay, I died. I was told that it wasn't my time. I had to come back only to now be told that I got some crazy illness and I'm going to die again. Like, it just didn't make any any sense to me. So I felt like I was on the time clock to, to get out there and get this information out. So that's kind of what I did. But I'll tell you that once I came back from my near-death experience, the other thing that I noticed was that, oh, my abilities were definitely back. But they weren't only back. They were a hundred times stronger than they ever were before as a, as a teenager. Uh, and I was having uh, pre-called dreams that were coming, you know, on a constant basis that were very accurate. Um, you know, you could, you could definitely, I would know that when something was, was going to happen, uh, but, you know, be it a natural disaster, you know, type of weather scenario, things like that. So, you know, it's it's definitely, I think, near-death experiences, and again, interviewing so many people over the years, I have found that a lot of people have reported the exact same thing, is that maybe they didn't have abilities, or they had some, but they weren't very strong, and then they have this near-death experience, or they end up facing death like they get like cancer you know like a really bad cancer and they somehow are leukemia and they somehow survive it uh, um, after these kinds of things that we've noticed that people's uh, psychic abilities definitely um, increase for sure mine was slightly different i was in um a coma for three weeks because i had a blood sugar level one two four my wife at the time was told that I was going to die, obviously. She kept faith and obviously I didn't. But whilst I was in the coma, I heard a woman's voice. And the woman's voice is someone I've never heard before or since. And she was telling me to wake up. And I had an overwhelming feeling to wake up. I've never had before either. 
And also, when I was in the coma, I honestly believe I was never either in the real world or the next world. Well, did you notice that when you came back out of your coma, I mean, did you notice that your abilities were heightened? I don't think I've noticed, to, to be perfectly honest. I may have them. I, I don't know. I, I really couldn't tell you, but... I've never really done any tests like that, so I have to be honest and say I don't know. paranormal I mean I as I say I originally started off in cryptozoology because I I, I got into cryptozoology because I did some volunteer work for a person called Jonathan Downs who's a British cryptozoologist and I helped him out and um, and I got dragged into the paranormal because of my experience of it and I've got I've got I've got more and more into paranormal now is dragging me it's pulling me more than the cryptozoology side People, we—I don't know if you've heard of British Bigfoot, but I, heard, I've, I've, I know a lot of people into that field as well. Yeah, I understand, yeah. 
there you go. Okay, and so what do we say? We say you just say, oh, I just got that gut feeling, or if we're gonna go do something right before we do it, and you know we might get that feeling like mm, maybe this isn't a good idea, you know. And so those are all you know forms of psychic abilities. But again, people have created all of these explanations, all you know, alternate explanations. So instead of saying, oh, those are psychic abilities, they'll say, oh, that's your gut instinct. And I go, like, oh, okay, well, you know, nobody really questions. Well, well I, I don't know because I used to do care work. I used to work in mental health and special needs, and you sometimes could sense when something was going to kick off, like something was going to happen. Yeah. And it is true about the full moon. A lot of people say it's a myth, but it's not. Most of them got more agitated near or after the full moon. Absolutely. But, you know, we, for those who follow, um, you know, all of the different placements of this, you know, not only the moon, but all of the different planets, and, you know, they are all supposed to have, you know, different... Um, on us on, on uh, the planet and so like a lot of times like if Mars is in retrograde right people start to notice that they're having like a lot of bad luck or just a lot of really bad things are happening so um, definitely the moon placement and the planet placements uh, have a big effect on us as, as people and you're absolutely right I used to work as a nurse and same thing that's one of the things we would notice is that uh, during full moon um, a lot of things would, like you said, would kick up and, and start off, and we would see patients that would be very, very calm at any other time except for a full moon, and then they have all kinds of issues. But you also notice, you know, working um, with patients in the mental health, uh, and, and especially with me being a, a psychic medium where I can visually see spirits, because I have had a lot of you know clients over the years who have had children with uh, mental disorders and um, they usually will claim to see spirits talk to spirits and again because they have a mental illness you know title um, they're discounted but I will tell you that you know um, a lot of disabled children or you know say down syndrome ADHD uh, all those kind of things those children are usually super gifted they're probably tuned in like I said it probably goes back to the early man's thing as I mentioned earlier they probably that bit may be heightened in their brain Board, people just want to discount 
what they're saying. And I actually have found in my work that, you know, they're very, very credible. Well, I find it strange because I, I've got um, mild small vessel disease of the brain, which affects my cognitive skills. And I have trouble with words and memory and stuff like that. But I also have, sometimes I can smell things that aren't there. I don't see things, I smell things. I don't. I know that might sound a bit odd. No, no, absolutely it does not sound uh, odd at all. Because again, as I was saying earlier, we have to remember that, you know, just because we put, say, you know, the paranormal or uh, the psychic abilities under this umbrella of psychic abilities, you know, again, everybody perceives that it must mean the same thing. And it's not. Again, sometimes people have heightened hearing. Sometimes they have heightened smell. Sometimes there are people with abilities that they can actually smell illness or death coming to somebody that they meet. So they actually have a different smell. And so they can walk up to somebody and tell that person if, and know if they're sick or not. Yeah, I smell things like... What was it? I sometimes smell like strawberries or oranges or something and there's nothing nearby. Because my mum, when she was alive, used to wear a lot of perfume. Uh, on a, uh, she used to spray it on herself, not on her skin, because she had um, skin problems. But any time I smell that distinctive smell, I instantly think of my mum. that light 
they don't know that if the person's abilities happens to be that they can see spirits, maybe um, they can hear spirits, maybe they sense energy, they can feel energy, maybe like a lot of empaths will have similar reportings too. They'll say they go to a large crowded place, right? Um, they will notice that they feel almost bipolar. Sometimes, you know, they'll walk into a room and then all of a sudden they just are sad or mad for whatever reason. They might walk into another room with people and they might just feel super happy, don't know what's going on. Nothing's changed in five minutes of their life that it was before, but they're feeling all these emotions and they'll say, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm bipolar. That's what a lot of women say because they're like, oh, one minute I'm fine, the next minute I'm crying, I don't even know why. Well, you know, again, the spirit world doesn't realize what kind of abilities you have. So say, you know, um, like the example I was just giving, for, for people who are empathic, a lot of time if they're around a lot of people, they will read or they'll be able to feel the changes in the energy of the person. So say the person's been having a bad day, and you're going and you're around them, you're going to get that um, emotional package that they have and you kind of absorb it like a sponge so then all of a sudden you find yourself feeling angry or sad and then you'll notice though that like once you leave a certain area where you're at then all of a sudden it kind of goes away so again these are all different types of abilities but spirit world ghosts you know spirits they don't know they don't know what what abilities we have so they'll come and they'll try to interact with us so they might, you know, um, try to, again, um, give us smells. They might try to whisper to us. And a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, I could have swore I heard somebody whisper my name. And I looked around and there wasn't anybody there. So I thought, oh, I must just be hearing. So again, a big part of communication, a lot of people just don't trust what's going on with them. They second guess. And they will, in turn, find out, find an you know, alternative explanation, a more rational explanation for the reason that, that the situation is occurring. So, have you done? Um, have you got like scientific documentation?
out there, which, you know, I mean, again, there still is, but there, there were very few actual paranormal investigators or teams out there. Like, in, I'm in California, and in just Northern California, I think we had, like, three teams in all of Northern California. And so the teams would a lot of times work together. And so we'd share evidence and we'd say, okay, this is what we got from our case. What do you think? And, you know, so we have other, other, you know, people who do this check out what we got and see if our evidence, if they were hearing the same things that we heard and, and all this kind of stuff. It's changed so now that television has come out because now you've got a lot of people who were in the field for all the wrong reasons. They're in the field for uh, to become famous, first of all, and uh, good luck. You know, your chances of becoming famous in the paranormal are about as good as winning, you know, the, the super lottery. <laughs> uh, if you're, you think you, people ought to think, people think, oh, I'm going to make all kinds of money. Well, yeah, probably not that either, because once you get into paranormal investigating, you realize that you actually spend way more money than you could ever make, even if you even if you got paid for anything. And most investigators do not charge for their services for private cases ever. Uh, and so, you know, people, we have to go out and buy, you know, equipment, and we have to travel, and all, all these different, you know, expenses and costs. It can get very, very expensive very, very quickly. Um, so it's definitely different. And so now, again, instead of people wanting to share information, what happens is if somebody, say a team goes out and does an investigation, you know, at least here in the U.S. is how it's becoming, uh, and they put the information out on social media, right? And they say, you know, I did an investigation last night. I'm not really sure what this is or what it could be, but what do you think, right? And it's so sad to see that people can ask for help and what they will be faced with is probably maybe a 50-50 split, depending on how many people you have on the paranormal on your page. But, you know, at least half of the people will say, oh, that's a great catch. The other half will completely tear you apart. Not, they won't just say, oh, that's explainable or there's a rational explanation for that. No, they'll just go off on you, attack you. Um, if people start to see that you're getting some popularity in the field and, you know, people are, are paying attention and they're having you on radio shows, uh, then they then go from being, say, your friends on Facebook to now your, I guess, perceived um competition so we don't here in the u.s I, I hate to say but we don't have very much parity that they like to call it where shame, you know, everybody kind of gets along then helps each other it's it's completely opposite i mean how is it there um I, I haven't found anybody too bad because at any problem i've got and i know it's from a personal perspective is that i most of the people I get to talk to about paranormal are from America. I don't get a lot of British people. Interesting, interesting. Well, I do know that, I mean, it is extremely, you know, popular here. And since all the television shows came out, it's become even more popular. We get a lot of people who just are, are kind of hobbyists or, uh, or they just have a fascination with it and 
want to just go out and check it out. Uh, but I would think that with, you know, especially in the UK, there's such a haunted history. Oh, yeah, it's massive. Yeah, massive, yeah. They're out there, but as as I say, I I have asked them to come on, but not a lot of them want to come forward and do it. Perhaps they just don't like me. <laughs> We can all sort of, we're all in the same field and we all sort sort of, sort of uh, cooperate. As you say, it obviously doesn't happen. But I like to learn things from people. I don't know everything and nobody knows everything. No one's a true expert. Well, doesn't it bother you when you hear people say, oh, that they're paranormal experts? Yes, a bit, because I think to myself, well, 
it's too much out there to say. You can say you've got a. St I'm, I call myself a student. I never call myself an expert. There's lots of stuff I learn that I don't know. Now this is only a personal belief, I could be completely wrong, and if I'm wrong I do apologise. Now I've got two theories, one is a very controversial theory that may be a bit out there. I'll give you the first one. The first one is, I believe that God is not a person, it's energy force. And when we die, we, we're like an energy force, and we join it like a hive. And the second one, this is the very controversial one, I don't mean to upset anybody, but God is a schizophrenic. He is good and evil. You 
may have to say that again because you cut out a little bit then. I apologize. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's okay. You don't, it happens. I'm used to gremlins. It's okay, you can repeat yourself, it doesn't matter. Afraid of 
things we don't understand. So if we feel like something's happening to us and we can't see who or what's doing that to us, our mind immediately goes to, must be something bad. Must be something bad. Couldn't be anything good that would scare me like that. And once they find out that, you know, it's a family member, it's, and it's absolutely nothing bad, you know, kind of changes. So, uh, you know, I wish that things were a little bit, you know, um, different now. But, again, I think that it's still important. I think it's important the research we do. I think it's really important for the kinds of shows that you do, that I do, that so many of us do out there because, again, we're able to get this information, our experiences, out to so many more people than we used to be able to. And what I find with all the people that I talk to, as crazy as I think some of my situations, you know, and experiences have been, when I talk to other people, some people have had very similar, very, very similar experiences. And they're like, oh, girl, that's not crazy at all. I have the same experience. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, that's, that's crazy. Before we sign off, Christina, is there anything you'd like to, uh, any links you want people to go to or... So anyway. Well, I appreciate you bringing me on. I, I'm uh, very honoured that you asked me. Okay, uh, and I'd like to say, well, as we're in different time zones, it's good evening to you and good morning from me. Thank you. Goodbye.